The following message is from the Church at Greer Station. For more information, visit tcgreerstation.com. All right, so tonight we're going to continue in our series entitled The Way of Wisdom. And one of the things that the pastors wrestle with the most is how how we can be effective at making mature Christians. So we we take our task very seriously, and we want to see each and every member that we're responsible for make it in the end. And we want to be able to stand before God and say, yes, Lord, we cared well for your people. And so we spend every other Sunday night sitting at the church office from 8 p.m. to 10 p.m., although most of the time it's midnight because a few of us can't stop talking. Um, but we, we think together and we pray and we ask the Lord to help us in making ourselves and you into more mature Christians. And there's a lot of different measurements that we could use to evaluate that, right? A lot of different marks. You could think about, like, the fruits of the Spirit. You could say, okay, we want everyone to kind of embody the fruits of the Spirit. Uh, you could think about the role of the pastor, or the, the qualifications of an elder. And you could say, okay, the Bible says aspire to this. This is supposed to be a mature Christian. There's just a variety of different things we could look to. And one of the things that the pastors keep coming back to, and one of the marks that we look for in a mature Christian, is it's someone who knows how to live skillfully. Okay? So it's someone who knows how to, how to navigate the complexities of life in such a way that makes much of God and is consistent with his word. And so the book of Proverbs, along with the other wisdom literature, it's been given to us to help us live skillfully. So that's why the pastors thought it would be helpful to use this summer season as a time just to walk through some of the major topics addressed in the book. But this book does teach differently. I I think I've heard every individual that's preached the last couple weeks kind of say the same thing. Well, this is not the law. It's not the Old Testament. It is the Old Testament. It's not the law. It's not the prophets. It's not the New Testament. It doesn't really preach very well from a sermon standpoint. In the book of Proverbs, it really is more of like a, a book of road signs, street signs, billboard signs. It's, it's not really going to tell us where to go exactly, but it's going to kind of point us in the right direction. The only thing I could think about with this was uh, when I was in middle school, uh, I went to Gulf Breeze, Florida. Cool place if you've never been there. It's a little peninsula off Pensacola on spring break with a friend of mine. And... Um, it was a second home for my buddy, so once we drove down there, it was a long car ride, and naturally the first thing 12 or 13-year-old, I don't know how old we were, boys want to do, is uh, we hopped in the boat and went out into the Gulf of Mexico, right? And because it was a second home, they didn't really spend any time there. It was just a little John boat with one of those little engines that you're steering from the back. It was like flipper, you know, that's what we were doing. So we're tooling around out in the Gulf of Mexico, and uh, one of the things that two 13-year-old boys just don't often think about is um, time. So all of a sudden, the sun starts setting. And we're like, oh, man, this is just not good. I can see my mom back there rolling her eyes. Never told her this story. Um, Don't worry, we made it back safely, okay? But as we're coming back into the bay, it's getting dark. We have no lights. We have nothing. We're in this tiny little two-seater John boat skirting along. And we see all these signs that say, beware, submerged logs. Beware, submerged logs. And it's like, you know, it would be more helpful if you actually just put that on the log. And you said, this is a submerged log. Don't go here, right? But instead, it's just warning signs saying, hey, you need to be careful. You cannot need to navigate skillfully as you go through here. And that's kind of what the book of Proverbs is. It would be a lot easier for it to say, hey, don't watch Netflix. 
Don't get on Instagram. Don't do this. Don't do that. Don't do this. But instead, it's saying, hey, life is complex, and humans are complex. You need to be mindful of these things out here, and you need to learn how to navigate these waters, because if not, you will sink your boat. So tonight we're going to look at one of those traits that the Proverbs holds up warnings for. It's the sluggard. So the sluggard is a recurring character in the book of Proverbs. It's one that's important for us to not look past. I think probably we tend to think of the sluggard as like the uh, prolonged adolescent, right? The 22-year-old in his grandma's basement playing video games all day. Um, and that is, in fact, a sluggard. Uh, that is a mark. But the sluggard can also be one of the busiest individuals, who's just coasting through life with no aim and no direction. Frederick Buechner said this, Sloth is not to be confused with laziness. A slothful man may be a very busy man. He is a man who goes through the motions, who flies on automatic pilot. Like a man with a bad head cold, he has mostly lost his sense of taste and smell. People come and go, but through glazed eyes, he hardly notices them. He is letting things run their course. He is getting through his life. So as we look at the Bible tonight and we consider the sluggard, I want us to answer three, three questions tonight. First, how does the book of Proverbs characterize the sluggard? Second, how are we supposed to live? And then finally, why does it even matter? All right, so how does the book of Proverbs characterize the sluggard? How are we supposed to live and why does it matter? So let's look at the book of Proverbs and how it defines a sluggard. I want to look at five traits. Uh, Derek Kidner, who's a commentator, I wish I'd have brought his books, but uh, he does, he's got a bunch of them, but commentaries on Psalms and Proverbs, and I used to read them as devotional, so Derek Kidner, if you ever want to pick him up, but he had highlighted these five traits, and I couldn't do better, so we're just going to use his language here. So first trait of a sluggard, a sluggard is one who does not begin things. Proverbs 6, 9 through 10, what Peggy just read, it says, how long will you lie down, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? When are you going to get up? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Your poverty will come in like a vagabond and your, and your, want, your need like an armed man. So in the book of Genesis, man is tasked with having dominion over the earth to rule and to work it, right? And work is not a result of the fall. Toil and work is. It's woven into the very fabric of our DNA to work and to rule over something. And the writer of Proverbs is calling his son to pay attention to this. He's saying, look at that ant. Look at the ant. It's just a small little creature with no soul, and it bites the living fire out of your ankles, and its brain is completely insignificant in terms of size. And yet the ant gets it. The ant is out there working, storing up his provisions for the winter. But the slugger is sitting there hitting the snooze button. He's hitting the snooze button on life over and over and over again. The slugger does not begin things. He lacks initiative. The sluggard prefers comfort over fulfilling his God-given mandate to work and provide. One commentator said this about the sluggard. When we ask the sluggard, now listen to this. When we ask the sluggard, how long? When will you? We're being too definite for him. He doesn't know. All he knows is his delicious drowsiness. All he asks is just a little respite, a little, a little, a little. Now pay attention to this. He does not even commit himself to a refusal, but deceives himself by the smallness of his surrenders. 
So by inches and minutes, his opportunity slips away. A sluggard does not begin things. Point number one. Number two, he does not finish things. If we can't actually get a sluggard to start something, he doesn't finish it. Proverbs 12, 27 says this, The sluggard does not roast his prey, but the possession of a man is diligence. So here the sluggard goes out, kills an animal, and he's so lazy, he doesn't even cook it. Proverbs 19 says, The sluggard buries his hand in the dish, but for lack of energy won't even bring it back to his mouth. We had a cat growing up. Terrible cat. Um, cats are the worst. His name was Meshach. He's cool. Yeah. And he was big. The run of the litter is big. And I can remember, man, you'd see that thing just waddle, and he'd get to his bowl of food. He'd just fall asleep. And you're like, you've done all the work. You're there, and you're asleep, right? That's kind of what the book of Proverbs is saying. Now, that's probably ridiculous, but if we maybe boiled it down to us a little bit more, I don't know. How many of you have a stack of books on the desk? You started, never finished. What about home projects? Started, never finished. If you're like me, you've started whole 30 and you make it to whole one, right? You start, you never finish. Are you characterized by that? You start things, but you don't finish them. You can't see them all the way through to completion. That's the mark of a sluggard. So he doesn't begin things. If he does, he doesn't finish. Number three, the sluggard makes excuses. The sluggard can rationalize everything with excuses. Proverbs 20 says, the sluggard doesn't plow the field past the autumn. He's saying the sluggard doesn't even plow his field because it's too cold. Later in Proverbs 22 and 26, you see the sluggard. This is an excuse. He's saying, there's a line in the street. There's a line in the public square. I might die. What he doesn't know is that these very excuses will lead to his death and they'll lead to his ruin. The sluggard has an excuse for everything. It sounds like this. This job is just not my dream job. It doesn't inspire me. It doesn't give me fulfillment. It doesn't do this. It doesn't do that. Look, if you can find a job that fulfills you and inspires you, that's great. Um, take the job interview. But if you can't find that, it's no excuse not to lace up your boots and get to work. If you're not willing to work, you shouldn't eat. 1 Thessalonians 3, it's better for you to die than not go to work. What about parenting? If it's done well, it's like tending a garden, just constant maintenance and care and love, and it's absolutely exhausting. You're worn out. But how often do we skip out on being consistent and disciplined, or just opportunities for instruction, or just opportunities to be with our kids? And we say things like, I'm tired. We all are. It's been a long day at work. My kid's different, just different. It's not enough time. Derek Kidner says the sluggard makes a habit of soft choices. The sluggard doesn't want to do hard things or have hard conversations. They make habits of soft choices. And this doesn't just apply to our work life or parenting, right? How often do we take the easy road in relationships? How often are we sluggards in our thinking because we don't want to strain our minds to figure something out, but we take the path of least resistance and the easy path? We can see this in the church today, in the American church. The tentacles of false worldviews on gender and critical theory are sneaking in and tightening their grip. 
And prominent evangelical leaders and members in our churches are walking away from the faith because of these things. And these issues are complex. They're not simple. And these issues are things to wrestle with. And the path of least resistance is for all of us just to simply shrug our shoulders and go about your business. There might be some folks who genuinely wrestle with these issues and wrestle with some type of deconstruction of their faith. The easy path for them is when it gets hard, just walk away. Don't walk away. Let's understand what the Bible has to say and hold fast to our confession. On the flip side, it would also be easy just to remain blind to what's happening around you rather than strapping on the full armor of God so that you'll be able to stand firm against every scheme of the devil. Know your Bibles. Know what God has to say. Do not let the culture define your reality. The sluggard is the one who takes the easy path. The sluggard is the one who makes excuses. Don't make excuses. Sluggard doesn't begin things. He doesn't finish. He makes excuses. Number four, he's self-deceived. All these excuses, the sluggard actually believes them. Proverbs 26, it says, The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. You see, the slug, they, they start believing this. They start literally saying, I mean, there, is a, there could be a lion outside, right? I mean, he could be there and I might die. So, can't go out to work today. Can't leave my house. What if it's cold outside? I think it's cold. I got a jacket on. It's cold. Can't get out there. And the sluggard has the inability to hear wise counsel around him. They say things like this. Those people just don't understand. My, my situation's different. And the list goes on and on and on and on. The sluggard is self-deceived. I've heard Sarah, my wife, say, if you wonder why you're the only one sitting on the bus, it's probably because of you. If you find yourself hearing counsel that goes against every fiber of your being, but it's wise people in your life speaking to you, even if you just kind of push back against it, please take a moment to listen and respond accordingly. Let's seek out wise counsel. Let's not be self-deceived. Last point for the sluggard. He's restless and discontent. Proverbs 21 says the desire of the sluggard puts him to death. For his hands refuse to work. All day long he is craving. You hear that? All day long he craves, but he refuses to work. He wants all these things, but he refuses to work. And thus he's never satisfied. Proverbs 13, it says, The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing. You know anyone like that? Are you like that? I'm like that sometimes. Bouncing around from thing to thing, never fully committing yourself to anything or anyone, always craving the next thing, never satisfied, aimless. It's the mark of a sluggard. So when we look at the Proverbs and how it characterizes a sluggard. He doesn't begin things, he doesn't finish things, he makes excuses, he's self-deceived, and he's restless and discontent. But what do we do about it? So next question, right? How should we live? How are we supposed to live? One of the nice things about Proverbs is it not only puts up warning signs for us on how we shouldn't live, but it also provides pictures for how we should live. So when we think about what it means to be the anti-sluggard, I couldn't think of anything more creative, or I don't know what the actual word for a non-sluggard is, so anti-sluggard. When, uh, when we think about what it means to be the anti-sluggard, we have to go no further than Proverbs 31. 
So Proverbs 31 is a passage that we typically just hold up for women. And we say, look here, aspire to this, be like this. And we should do that. But I think we can make an argument for this lady being a real example of someone who has taken all of the wisdom from her parents and ancestors, and she's put it in her heart, and she is living the skillful life. Think, think about what we've covered so far. She's the complete opposite of the fool that Jim talked about in week one. She knows how to use her speech with skill. She knows how to trade in the marketplace. She knows how to negotiate real estate deals. It says she spews out kindness. There's no gossip and backbiting on her lips. She skillfully navigates relationships with her husband, with her kids, with her community, and she's also one of the perfect pictures of the anti-sluggard. So, while yes, we hold her up for the ladies in this congregation, I'm going to hold her up for everyone in this room, males, females, singles, married with kids, married without kids, teenagers, preteens, whoever you are, let's observe this lady and let's consider her, okay? I'm also trying to vie for a spot on the 2022 women's retreat. Just saying. Here we go. Just kidding. Kind of. Um, how should we live? Proverbs 31. Proverbs 31, lady, she begins and she finishes. Here's Proverbs 31. It says, the heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not evil all the days of her life. She looks for wool and flax and works with her hands in delight. She is like merchant ships. She brings her food from afar. She rises also while it is still night and gives food to her household and portions to her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. From her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She's like the ant. She doesn't need anyone to tell her what to do. She's out there making it happen. She's not waiting for the wool and the flax and the food to come to her. She's out looking for it. She has the task of providing food for her family. And she doesn't just go find the food and bring it back and put it down and go on. No, she sees her task all the way through. She rises in the night and distributes the food. She finishes her task. She completes it. She sees it through to the end, and her husband trusts her. Do you hear that? In Proverbs 10, it says, like vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes. Think about being around the campfire and the wind blows your direction. You're like, like that, right? It says, like smoke to the eyes, so is the sluggard to those who send him. You can't trust a sluggard to complete a task. In fact, it's almost cringeworthy every time you send him out. You're like, I'm not sure what's going to happen here. Smoke in my eyes. Not this lady. Not in Proverbs 31. When she has a task, she does it, and she's trusted. Her husband has no lack. I think one helpful observation here, too, about the Proverbs 31 woman is that she isn't just busy for busyness' sake. Busyness is not the answer for fighting against sluggardliness. Rather, she has very clear priorities. She has a priority to her husband, her kids, her home, and she's like an arrow that has been shot with precision. She's on a mission to execute the tasks needed to fulfill her responsibilities. And she never sacrifices those, those three priorities in all of her labors. She's not some uneducated person who can only change diapers and do laundries. Quite the opposite. She's a real estate investor. Do you hear what it says? She goes out there and considers a piece of property and buys it. Her husband is not the one doing that. She knows how to evaluate a piece of property and buy it. She's a stock market investor. So later it says she knows how to trade in the marketplace. It even says she takes her earnings and invests it and plants a vineyard. 
Yet in all these things, it's never about her finding her own fulfillment and being the best real estate investor or stock market advisor because that's not true fulfillment. We see her fulfillment at the end when it says her children rise up and bless her and her husband sings the praises of her works and her works are known across the community in the gates. She never sacrifices her priorities to do these things. And this is again across the board. Whatever station of life you're in, Whoever you are, grandparent, young, old, in between, with kids, without kids, single, married, God has given you certain priorities in life, and we need to understand what those are, and we need to execute. If you're single out there, Paul's not unclear in saying you have a great advantage above married people because you can be unhindered for the sake of the gospel. How do you pour yourself out, body and soul, for the kingdom of God? Let's figure out what it looks like, and let's get going. Married women, with, without kids, Proverbs 31, the New Testament, they're not unclear on what your priorities are. Let's understand it and get after it. Men, you have God-given responsibilities in the home and in the world, and I can tell you it's not passivity. We need to understand what those responsibilities are and get after it. We need to be men. The anti-sluggard knows how to take on responsibility. They figure out what needs to be done and they execute. They carry things to completion. They begin and they finish. Number two, the anti-slugger doesn't make excuses. Observe this lady again in Proverbs 31. It says she girds herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She senses that her gain is good. She's tracking that bench press. She's got good gains. Don't worry. Her lamp does not go out at night. She's not afraid of the snow, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she smiles at the future. What a woman, right? She is not making excuses. Something's hard, got to get stronger. I'm getting tired, I'm going to press harder. Snow's coming, I'm not afraid, I'm prepared. No excuses. And I love it when she says she smiles at the future. Sarah and I were talking about this, and she showed me in the ESV where it says she laughs at the future. I love that too. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? This lady's like, cancer, you're coming my way. COVID, coming my way. Relationships falling apart. I'm tired. I'm exhausted. Life's crazy. She's like, I wear strength and dignity like a garment, right? I can laugh at this. I can smile at the future. And only God can do that. Only the fear of the Lord, only wisdom rooted in the fear of the Lord can produce that. No excuses. Don't make excuses. Number three, Proverbs 31 is not restless. She's neither restless nor discontent. She lacks neither aim nor initiative. She knows what she's supposed to be doing and she's doing it. She does not eat the bread of idleness and because of that she is not poor, anxious, or dead. And she's blessed by her children, her husband sings her praisers, and everyone in the community knows her works. It's just she's, her works are known in the gates. Everybody knows about it. Don't be restless. Don't be discontent. Last question. Why does it matter? Right, we've seen Proverbs characterized as sluggard. We can see in the Proverbs 31 lady how we're supposed to live. But why does it even matter? Right, if, if I stopped right here... You probably think that um, uh, the sermon is merely just about how to have a more productive life and maximize your potential. It sounds like a sales training seminar. 
Uh, but it's actually not about that at all. This sermon, all these sermons from this series, they're here to instruct us on how to live skillfully as one who fears the Lord. So when we ask the question, why does it matter? Why does it matter? It matters because God is not a sluggard. We are being conformed into the image of his son. The book of Hebrews describes Jesus as the exact representation of the father, the effulgence of the father. He's the radiance of the glory of God. And I'm not interested in being productive for productivity's sake. I'm interested in being like my father. And as a pastor, I'm interested in you being like our father. Psalm 121 it's a familiar psalm in our house anytime there's a bad dream or nightmare. I will lift up my eyes to the mountain. From where shall my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not allow your foot to slip. He who keeps you will not slumber. He's not slumbering. He's not asking for a little rest. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither sleep nor slumber. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun will not smite you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your soul. The Lord will guard your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forever. Hebrews 1 says he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Romans 8 says Christ Jesus is at the right hand of God making intercession for you. God is not a sluggard. If God were a sluggard, we would be men and women without hope. When we need disciplining, he never once tells us he's too busy. Nor does he overlook it. But he says, I love you, I love you, I love you. And as you're working out your salvation with fear and trembling, I'm there working on you too. And whenever we cry out for mercy or help in our time of need, he never once says, I'm too tired. It's been a long day. Or whatever we want to say. He says, I'll keep you. I won't leave you. I won't forsake you. I'm upholding all of this. Every star, every galaxy, every molecule that moves. I'm upholding all of it by, my, by the word of my power. And I have not forgotten you. He does not slumber. He does not sleep. But he watches over us day and night. He is not a sluggard. Be like him. Be like God. We're here to help. If you're here wondering, where do we begin? What are these God-given priorities in the Bible? Please, come find myself, find Aaron, find Jim, find Josh. We would love to walk alongside and think through this. We want to be more and more like Jesus, and we want to grow into maturity in Christ. Let me close with this. Richard John Newhouse described the modern sluggard like this. Pay attention. They are evenings without number, obliterated by television. Evenings neither of entertainment nor education, but a narcotic defense against time and duty. Let me read that again. You wanna know what it looks like to be a sluggard? They're evenings without number, obliterated by television. Evenings neither of entertainment nor education, but a narcotic defense against time and duty. Here's what the Apostle Paul would say to all of us sluggards. Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Therefore, so therefore, so because you were dead in your trespasses, and God walked in the morgue and said, get on up, the light of Christ is about to shine on you. Because of all of that, because God is rich in mercy and has redeemed, redeemed you, he says, therefore, be careful how you walk. Not as unwise men, but as wise. 
Make the most of your time because the days are evil. Do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Let's pray. Father, you have woken our hearts to see your goodness in the land of the living. You have walked into the morgue when we were dead in our trespasses and sin, and you, being rich in mercy and love, looked at us and said, Rise up, and the light of Christ will shine on you. And Father, therefore, we ask that you help us not to walk as men and women who are unwise, but help us to walk as wise individuals. Help us to make the most of our time because the days are evil. Help us not to be foolish, Father. And help us not to be wise just for, again, the sake of being wise, Lord, but help us to honor you and our wisdom. Help us to be rooted in the fear of the Lord. Help us, Father. We need you. And we know that you do not slumber, you do not sleep, but you watch over us. You care for us. You are our shade. You are our keeper. You are our shepherd. So, Lord, please be with us. Give us grace. Give us grace to make much of your son. Give us grace to honor him in everything we say and do. Help us to live skillfully so that we might make much of Jesus. Lord, be with us as we take the elements in the Lord's Supper. May we remember the body and blood that was broken and shed for us. May we take delight in the comfort that because of your death and resurrection, we too will be raised up one day and made new. We pray these things in your name.